Hello, welcome to another episode of the Project Purple podcast. I'm Dino Varelli, founder and CEO of Project Purple. And today we're back in the podcast studio. I always get excited when I say that because I love bringing on new guests to the Project Purple podcast. I also love bringing on previous guests as well. I love everyone who comes on the Project Purple podcast, let's be honest here. But I've got a new guest with us coming all the way from Tom's River, New Jersey area. We don't want to give you your exact location. That'd kind of be a little weird. But uh, in that vicinity, uh, Crystal Morgan, pancreatic cancer survivor. Thank you for joining us on the Project Purple podcast, Crystal. You know, thank you so much for having me. It's really just such an honor. Well, really, really such an honor. Thank you. It's our honor. It's my honor to interview you. I know we talked a little bit before we hit record and, and you said you had listened to the podcast uh, in the past. Oh, yeah. And so uh, you shared some really nice thoughts. So, um, you know, we love having survivors, fighters, people who've gone through the journey, people who are going through the journey, uh, because this is how we it's not how, but it's one of the pieces. It's a major piece of how we amplify awareness. And as right. you and I were talking, you know, the more awareness that we can create, the more, you know, people are aware of it, the more fundraising happens, the more government action happens, the more pharma action happens. This is, right. We're just trying to create this huge groundswell. And, uh, and this podcast has just been a piece of that, um, a successful piece of that. And as I said before we hit record, you and I were talking, it's just truly an honor to be able to be the Uber driver on so many people's journeys <laughs> here with this this uh, podcast. So with that, I'm going to turn this over to you as is customary on our podcast. We always allow our guests the first 10, 20, 30 minutes, however long it takes us to go through kind of your background um, you know, with the disease and, and what brings you here today. And as I always say, it's up to you to go as far back or as high level as you want, and then we'll take it from there. Awesome. Well, um, as an Uber driver, you get five stars, <laughs> and I'm going to go ahead and tip you a lot. And Thanks. it'll be both, you know, on the app and in probably cash. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm known for doing that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. So my, uh, oh, let's see, the, the journey starts started actually back in June of 2016. So we're almost at our five-year mark. Wow. Um, when That was when I was actually diagnosed, but probably goes back even further than that because I was, uh, you know, at the time I was 46, a uh, divorced mom of one, active teenager, gymnast. She was my daughter's gymnast, competitive and coaching and, you know, in college doing the whole I was doing the whole mommy, helicopter mom thing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, also working, keeping my home together and having a great social life. I come from an extremely wonderful family. I'm, I'm the oldest of six natural born and uh, a couple of foster and step children. So there's a, we have an army um, in my family. We're a Navy family. And... Uh, just going about life normally, what I thought was normal. Um, and until one day I kind of hit a, literally my body hit a brick wall and I started getting weak and I started getting a little shaky and I kind of nudged it off as, you know, I'm, I'm anemic. I knew it. I've always been anemic. So I'm like, Oh, my iron must be low. Mm -hmm. Let me grab a can of, almonds <laughs> yeah 
and some apple slices and get on my merry way. And that's exactly what I did. But I did that for several months. Hmm. And before I was just like, huh, this isn't good. And then the next thing I know, um, I pass out at a friend's uh, pool party in the bathroom. And uh, that was that was my awakening. My uh, I knew something was wrong. I just didn't know what it was. And then I started, you know, I don't want to get graphic here, but, you know, the nausea turned into, you know, um, just getting sick and what was coming up was black. And that was like, okay, we can't do this anymore. So one day after work on, as a matter of fact, I think it was June 18th of 2016, I decided to drive myself down uh, to the closer to, to the closest hospital and I collapsed in the emergency room door. Wow. And um, I'm so sorry. Um, the They admitted me immediately and my hemoglobin was down to four, 4.1. And so I had lost two thirds of the blood in my body and we had no idea where it went. <laughs> so I thought in my head, oh, I'll just get some extra blood get a transfusion and I'll be on my merry way by the end of the day. And uh, that wasn't the case. I, um, when the first time I, I saw a doctor other than the reg- regular emergency room doctor, I didn't realize that his lab coat said his white jacket said oncologist. I didn't pay attention to it. They knew before I did. And um, I was presenting, I had, I was fully jaundiced. Um, my stomach was distended, and I had started losing a lot of weight. I had um, quickly, and uh, I had ab pain, back pain, everything that would tell you go to the emergency room, go to the doctor. But I didn't, and when I finally did, um, on I was sent to another a sister hospital where they had to do an ERCP mm-hmm. and the gastro wakes me up and puts on his bag, puts on his coat, leaves me on the table and says, Oh yeah, you have cancer. Mm. I'm like, what? <laughs> and leaves the room. Leaves. So that was uh, how I found out I had cancer. Um, my next step was to go back to the doctor that admitted me, who is now, we're five years in, we're in a fully committed relationship. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you put that. He's the absolute best thing that ever walked the earth. And I'm so grateful for him. Is Patrick Lee out of Mammoth Medical Center. Just um, amazing, amazing. Part of um, Robert Wood Johnson. So um, amazing program. Um, my treatment was very very quick like just it was we have to go into full-blown aggressive chemo so i went i was hit with uh 5-fu full fornox as everybody knows i mean the hard cocktail (laughs) and i went through chemo then radiation and it was my tumor was originally the size of a softball and it was we shrank it enough to 
operate. And I had the infamous Whipple surgery that lasted well over, I want to say it was about 10 hours, maybe 11. It was, it was very involved. And my surgeon, Dr. Timothy Kim- Kennedy out of uh, Robert Wood at the Cancer Institute of New Jersey, he uh, sat on the side of my bed after surgery and said, we didn't get it all. We couldn't get it all. And those words, I guess the way that he said them and how gentle he was, combined with my absolute, you know, devout faith in God, said, okay, now what? (laughs) Okay, what do we do next then? And he recommended me for immunotherapy. And he says, we're going to try to do a a, a clinical trial. His mom had just had a bout with melanoma, and uh, he said it was very successful on her, and he recommended it for me. Now, the time, because we know it's Keytruda is not approved for pancreatic cancer. Mm-hmm. The battle of my life. <laughs> we'll go further into that as we go down the road a little bit more. So I just want to, can I jump in here real quick? Sure, sure. So I just want to jump backwards here a little bit. Um, So you said in June of 2016, you had this diagnosis. Right. But, excuse me, you said that you were super, you had issues with anemia. Mm -hmm. You were always had low iron. You had this passing out. You got really sick. You thought it was like just super anemic, but you had lost weight, jaundice, back and ab pain. So if we look back, and I know hindsight, Crystal, is always 2020, 2020. right? Always. Mm -hmm. Was there anything prior to June of 2016 that we now in hindsight could say, oh, that's why? Or maybe this was what was really going on, but you didn't realize it until this diagnosis. So that's my first question. Sure. No, that's a great question because it's one I talk to other patients about and people that just are just getting their diagnosis or or we we all have in common is that yes, hindsight is 2020 and there are certain things where at least for me that I'm like huh. so that's what that was. <laughs> um mine was the vomiting of I had a bile coming up and it was dark it was like that's not normal (laughs) and then the drastic weight loss that pain that first sharp ab pain when your body is in pain there's something wrong yeah period and i implore anyone and it's kind of one of my things is that i often say to anyone if you're, if it doesn't feel normal, it's not normal. If you're in pain, go to the doctor. And number one is, you know, health is wealth. Yeah. And <laughs> if it, you don't take care of you, you can't take care of others. Uh, you really have to. And yeah. so, yeah, it's it's imperative that we pay attention to our body. And it's easy as parents, as you know, especially when we're in our early 20s, 30s, 40s, you know, we're, we're hitting life. We're in stride. We've, we've got it. We've got the mortgage. We've got family. We've got, you know, vacations planned and, you know, a hiccup like what we, you know, I, I use air quotes when I say hiccup. Yeah. 
is like, I don't have time for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we become very selfless, I think. Right. In right. that, in that aspect right. of like our health, which right. there, there is a, I, I think selfless is not a bad thing, first of all. No, not at but all. But when it comes to your health, though, that's really critical. And as you said, you can't help anyone if you're sick. And that's something that we always, you know, to caregivers, like caregivers, a lot of times, you know, while someone is in that fight, you know, tend to go downhill as well, health-wise, because they don't take care of themselves. Absolutely. And that's really critical because like, if, you, if you're the caregiver or primary caregiver, you can't take care of that person sick. But to go back to people that are, you know, and this is really, really a great lesson and something that we need to amplify here is if someone doesn't feel right, there's no trophy <laughs> awarded right. for not going to the doctor and and, right. and just like letting it subside or just dealing with the pain, right? It's quite the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> so like, you know, people need to really be, you know, everyone is aware of their body not feeling off. And I know we've had plenty of people on the podcast that have come on and said, hey, I just knew something wasn't right. That's why I went. Right. And so if you know something's not right, and I'm not trying to beat you up here, no, but you know, you, know, you are the biggest advocate for yourself. And that's where right. people really have to, you know, recognize that and go. If we look Absolutely. even further back though, Crystal, mm -hmm. was there, you know, history with you? I mean, I know you said your daughter was a gymnast. So I assume, you know, yeah. mom and dad were probably super active because kids tend to be, oh, yeah. you know, take uh, uh -huh. after their parents. So was there a uh, history? I know you said you had some anemia stuff that you were dealing with, but did you deal with cancer before any other cancers or any other health issues that would have kind of been a red flag to like, Hey, this was kind of, again, hindsight being 2020, this may have been percolating for a while. Yes. And that is exactly what, you know, I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because yes, it was percolating for a while. It may have been percolating for a while. Um, I did have a bout with some, you know, I, there was a, a a mass that showed up on my uterus back in my early mm. 20s. And so, you know, I had that taken care of, but it was, you know, but not, there was nothing in and out. And I went on my merry way. I think I went to the boardwalk afterwards. Like it was just not a, <laughs> it was, uh, it was done and over with. And that was years and years and years ago where, I mean, we're talking about 25 years prior. Yeah. So it was so far in the back of my mind. However, I had, um, you know, it didn't dawn on me that cancer ran rampant through both sides of my family. And my grand, my paternal grandfather um, passed away from, uh, I believe it was stomach cancer. A GI, um, which is GI, yeah, which is all related. GI, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then my maternal grandmother, bone cancer, mm -hmm. breast cancer, passed away. Um, just, you know, it just aunts, uncles, cousins. No one had, even though it was that's GI, I'd never heard of anybody with pancreatic. So it wasn't until, you know, so my presence online, I, I'm pretty transparent online and um, about my journey. And I posted not too long ago. Um, about my Whipple and how it was like my Whippleversary. And a cousin of my father's, who's well into her 70s, reached out to me and said, I had pancreatic cancer 20 years ago. Wow. What? Are you <laughs> kidding me? 
are you kidding? This is my father's yeah. first cousin. So I'm like, what? 20 year survivor and thriving. So, you know, I credit social media for being able to at least get me involved and in, in connecting our, some of the dots in our family history as far as not only just, you know, where we're from, but, you know, health wise. So um, wild. It is. Now, I did have genetic testing done. I'm bouncing yeah. around a little bit. No, I no, that was one of my questions here. We were going to get there. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So I did have uh, genetic testing done. We were adamant about making sure we did it. Yeah. And mine came back as I um, I have Lynch syndrome. Oh, okay. So um, that we found. And, uh, but my, the PC was environmental, hmm. not genetic. Strange. Yeah, Lynch syndrome though is connected though. So I it mean, is. yeah, exactly. which I mean, exactly. Lynch syndrome. So there's a there's a cancer, and, and we'll get back mm -hmm. on this, the journey you've had here. But just so the you know the audience um, who may not be aware of this, like Lynch syndrome is a genetic mutation that mm -hmm. they've identified yep. for pancreatic cancer, but then also more so for colon cancer. It's very prevalent colon. in colon cancer. Yeah. So I didn't hear you say anything about colon cancer, but you know, GI cancers are GI cancers, right? And they're all kind of right, period. in right. this they're one like, big yeah. umbrella, you know, and it's, you know, stomach, duodenum, colon, pancreatic mm -hmm. cancer, you know, and, and, and as a GI specialist, uh, once told me it's, you know, if you think about it, it's from the, the, the front to the back, you know, yeah, and that's literally. the whole track. Yeah, literally. <laughs> so it's just kind of interesting. So that's an interesting piece here though. So but yeah. they said that it wasn't related to your PC. It wasn't, hmm. but I did show, um, Lynch syndrome. So, yeah. and it's, it's, we had my, we're actually about to have my dad tested because, you know, we, you need the mail. Yeah. Um, and he was just recently diagnosed with prostate cancer. So, which is linked to, yeah. Which the, is linked. Yeah. So there's a, there's a, you know, there's like six or seven cancers yeah. that are linked, you know, and that prostate's one linked. of them. Yeah. The genetic, I guess it's, you would call it like the genetic tree. You have pancreatic cancer, ovarian mm -hmm. cancer, breast cancer, uh, prostate for men, um, and then uh, melanoma for melanoma. both. Melanoma. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, colon cancer. So, right. you know, those right. are the, the the kind of the branch system of that genetic syndromes that potentially, you know, could lead to, you know, other cancers with those yeah. genetic mutations. So really, really fascinating. So to stay on track here, the genetic mm -hmm. testing, was that done recently or was it done? I mean, in 16, they weren't really doing genetic testing at the time, but then you mentioned immunotherapy and typically mm -hmm. sometimes that would lead to testing being done before that or, or post or around that time. So was this kind of happening all at the same time when you were going through that second round of, you know, treatment options after the Whipple? Yes. So I started on immunotherapy pretty much quick, very quickly. Been on it for, let's see, the immunotherapy started back in 2000, early 2018, Oh, wow. Okay. So recent. Um, so yeah. So yeah, so I'm almost three years in and it's, I think we had the, we started with the genetic testing in 2018 as well, because it is a, a little bit of a process um, because you do want to take your time. You want to make sure that you dot your I's and cross your T's and really, really um, delve into get as much information as you possibly can. 
and uh, try not to guess. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's <laughs> guessing is, you know, you want to get as, as precise as possible. But so, yes, mine was prompted because I was in an immunotherapy clinical trial, which, you know, as an African-American woman, my age, my background, I'm non-smoker, non-drinker, you know, I kind of hit a lot of checklists. So um, with the trial, they need people from all different walks of mm -hmm. life mm -hmm. at different stages and with different diagnosis di diagnoses. Mine was pancreatic and duodenal. So, um, and then, you know, when they pulled out I want to say it was like over 10 nodules from, from lymph nodes. Um, you know, just, I fit a lot of the criteria of what they needed for the study. Um, and the genetic testing results kind of played into that. So it's, it's no, go ahead. no, you go. Um, the problem is, is not enough people are surviving to, even take part in these clinical trials and, or don't know about them. Don't yeah. know that they're an option. Yeah. Clinical trials. And I know that not to, to go off subject here, but that is something that uh, I don't think anyone in the space does. a. And I, I say in the space, I don't mean advocacy groups or, you know, mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of the, is, you know, pharmaceutical companies. And I, I think part of the challenge crystal is I think people hear clinical trial Mm -hmm. guinea pig yeah patience yep. right yep and i think part of it, it you know there's there's anytime people say no i've always been trained that you know it's just a matter of not because they don't like you or that right. they they just don't have a, the the information in their skill set to make a educated decision so no is real easy to say right right so i think that's part of the challenge with clinical trials and i think the government pharma and I, I guess, you know, awareness groups, we can take, we can take some of it too, you know, as we've, mm -hmm. we really have failed, I think, in educating the community and the public as what clinical trials are and what the risks are, what the, what the benefits are from them. So I think that's, that's problem number one. And mm -hmm. then I think the other problem is just access to clinical trials. Right. I mean, it's great that you're able to get into one, but you know, what about the person listening in Southern Indiana? You know, they right. might not have access to a clinical trial. They might not be near one of the major, you know, universe, university settings where right. most of these clinical trials happen. So I think that's really the challenge, you know? And so I was, you know, I think that's, you know, part of the issue. I'm sure there's many other um, mm -hmm. issues that are or challenges, I should say, that, that come up with clinical trials, but you're absolutely correct. And I, I think, you know, we as a, as a community, as a group can do a better job and, and, you know, that th there are some great things happening in clinical trials. So if people are listening and are considering clinical trials, the NIH, you know, has a, has a great website. I know um, there's other yeah. groups. PanCan does a really Pan good job, you know, with clinical trials. So there are, th th we are getting better as a whole, right. I just don't mm -hmm. think we're there yet. Um, you know, where I think there's access to it for everyone throughout the country, because I know we've had patient right. families come in, call in, you know, requesting access to, you know, clinical trials. And just unfortunately, then they don't have the financial means to get to exactly. where the, the trial's happening possibly, or mm -hmm. the, the bigger problem, Crystal, and you mentioned this, you know, being an African-American woman, your age, your non-smoker, you checked off a lot of those boxes, right? Right, I did. I think a lot of people don't check off those boxes right. because of the progression of the disease or mm -hmm. 
because of the treatment protocol that they've been on prior to, you know, exactly. people don't understand, like you may, you know, if you were on five FU and you did 30 rounds, you may be disqualified from the clinical trial. Right. It's because whatever it is that they're looking for, Correct. you just don't meet, but Correct. that doesn't mean you don't, you can, you know, and, and it's sad because, you know, yeah. like you said, it's the accessibility, the, the cost, yeah. um, insurance companies are just like, Hey, wait, no. <laughs> yeah. And that's a, that's yeah. Like you were saying before, it sounded like it was a bit of a, of a challenge for you. I think you, you started oh, to yeah. mention that, but you know, insurance companies, unfortunately, like I just had my shoulder, I had, a, I had some shoulder issues, but I had to do cortisone shot PT before mm -hmm. we could go to the next stage. And I'm like, okay, right. but if this doesn't work, what does that mean? And he's like, well, it's six weeks that be, to prove that it doesn't work because oh. insurance won't pay for the next step until you go through the first two steps. And I'm, I'm kind of not trying to be crude or, or dumbing yeah. that down, but that's kind of the process even with cancer is insurance is only gonna pay for X, Y, and Z before you go to A, B, and C, right? Like exactly. you, there's a process that you have to follow. And as frustrating as that sounds, mm -hmm. it, it really is sometimes. And that's like, I think I, I've said this before, possibly on the podcast, I know I've said it in person is, there is a system and unfortunately, I don't know if all parts of the system are working together at all times, no. you know, with insurance companies. And that's another piece of the cog that we have to kind of get online with pharmaceutical and government and, you know, mm -hmm. advocacy groups. If everyone's working together, then this thing can move really fast. But like, oh, to your point, you know, if insurance companies are denying clinical trials because patients haven't done enough treatments of, you know, frontline chemotherapy, but- Mm -hmm. we know if they do those treatments of frontline, they don't become trial eligible, then how does that make any sense, right? It's a catch-22, yeah. horrible, and the only person it hurts is the patient. Correct. And patient you know, and patient families are left with the decision of trying to make that, yeah, what do I do, right? right? Like, do right. I go into this clinical trial, which we don't know, or do right. I continue frontline chemotherapy treatment that mm -hmm. if I continue to do that, may or may not work, but then if I continue to do it, I phase out of the clinical trial because I continued exactly. that frontline treatment. So it's really, you know, it's frustrating and, and I feel for families that go down that journey. And so I think, you know, we've got to get better at that. We've got to get better at educating and communicating and working together. Um, that's how we're going to move this thing. Oh, absolutely. You know, and um, PanCan, you, you mentioned PanCan, they're actually in the middle of, I think this is a, an advocacy week for them. Yes. And they're talking about, um, I just listened to their opening night last night and, uh, you know, there are things that we can do as, you know, patients and, and not only patients, but caregivers, anyone that's been affected by pancreatic cancer in any way, shape or form can write a letter, you send an email, do something like use your voice. And that's what we're, I'm waiting for my email to come through. <laughs> My email is supposed to be coming through where, you know, that tells me, you know, which, which congressman I need to write. To write. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> so, I love it. They yeah, need to, it so. But they need to hear this though. And that's where, yeah. you know, I've always, uh, as I said before, and I've said this before, you know, we've got to get everyone working together and that's how we're yeah. going to beat this thing. Um, similar to like other diseases, like 
breast cancer. My mom's a two-time breast cancer survivor and she's alive because of that, you know, because of the strides that, you know, the advocacy groups did with all groups, with politicians, Mm -hmm. politicians, uh, pharma, you know, insurance and and awareness groups. So that's what we have to do to continue to move this. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, this podcast alone is part of that and we appreciate it, you know, the awareness and, you know, the, the, like I said before, I think, I don't know if it was before we hit record or not, but um, you're reaching people further than you realize. And like I said, I've listened to you at three o'clock in the morning where when I've had my, just pulled my head out of the toilet or, (laughs) you know, and I didn't get a chance to to shoot you a quick message saying, hey, that was great. Thank you so much. But, you know, I'm giving you that right now. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Really we we don't get it. to do this without uh, folks like yourself, Crystal. So uh, it, it, it's it's a it, it's not just us. So I appreciate the words and, and appreciate the opportunity to to share your journey here. My pleasure. So you go on the Katruda, which you've been on for three years. Yeah. So we are approaching the five year. We are approaching the five oh, we're, year. We're there. Um, yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're almost there. We're, we're a couple there. Of days. Yep. We're and so I get to do my five year bell, um, because my but you know I'm I'm like does this mean I'm in remission? Like and they're like we wish we could say that, but like, you know I am presenting NED. Thank God. Uh-huh. Um, which is amazing. Who knew? Um, my journey included. You know there there were some parts when I was completely unrecognizable. I went from 165 pounds at 5'2 to under 90 pounds. And so I had my surgeon put in a feeding tube and said, bulk up. (laughs) Yeah. So I had a feeding tube for two years. I've had a biliary drain um, for a bulk of the time. His name was Billy. We broke up. (laughs) We had a great relationship, but it was time for him to go. Time for him to go. Yeah. he, He served his purpose as did my feeding tube. Um, and here I am, you know, here to spread the news of we can do this. We can do hard things. And, you know, I, I don't take my blessings for granted at all. I'm extremely grateful for my support system and my oncology team. And uh, it's, if, if being able to share my story or share my journey with people encourages them. I'm all here for it. I really am. It's by the grace of God that I'm able to do it anyway. So. So um, I've got a question for you and I've been taking a lot of notes here. No, no problem. So my first question is, and you mentioned this, you have a full, you're in a committed relationship, as you said, fully Uh committed relationship (laughs) with your oncologist. Um, Yeah. I have that here in in quotes. Fully committed. (laughs) And so, and and we talk about this often though, because (laughs) you have to have faith, A, but you have to have faith in your doctors. Absolutely. So when you say fully committed, was there a tipping point? Was it like, hey, the guy walked in the room and I'm going to be sarcastic here. It's like Dr. McSteamy, he walks in, you're like, oh my God, this guy's great. (laughs) Or, you know, just his personality, um, his confidence, like what was it that, like, was that tipping point that said to you, Crystal, like, hey, this guy's the guy, like, if this guy said, hey, eat this 
cardboard box. You'll be cured. I'm going to eat the cardboard box. I'm eating it and I might ask for ketchup. But I'm not sure yet. He, I will be quite honest with you. When I realized, I, it was fairly early on when I realized that he was, he too was a devout Christian. Uh-huh. Um, that to me, and, and I'm a prayer. It's, it's what I do. I know that, you know, there's a power above me mm-hmm. and I know that he's not going to put me anywhere that I, he doesn't want me. And I knew that when he, when I discovered that, that I, I was in the right hands, mm-hmm. that we would, we would do this together. And he's also, I, I want to say it was probably within the first two, three weeks is when I, I said, this is the guy, this is, this is the guy. I read his bio, you know, of course I'm, I'm, I'm a reader, hardcore. Mm-hmm. So I, and a researcher. So I researched everything. I, by the end of the time I did research, I realized he had a wife, a child, <laughs> like you know, <laughs> where he was educated, where he did his residency, like the entire gamut what his favorite color shoes were, where, you know, the whole nine yards background, um, especially his determination. Mm-hmm. And he just, he seemed like he wanted to fight more than me. Even though I wanted to fight hard, he was just in it for the, he's in it. And he's extremely passive, like very low key, mm-hmm. very low key, unless you talk about football. <laughs> <laughs> which were both football fans too. So that probably played something into it, but finding your tribe, your oncology tribe is key. That and your faith and your faith, I think leads you to exactly what it is that you need. That at least was for me. Um, That's what worked for me. And he has proven himself. He didn't even have to prove himself. He's every corner he sent me to has been perfect. He sent me to the right endocrinologist. He sent me to the right uh, oncology surgeon. That is, I, I'm telling you, my oncology, my surgeon probably should have been a plastic surgeon. Oh. <laughs> it's great. I, I mean, phenomenal. Can't say enough about Timothy Kennedy. He's just great. Um, we've been, any hiccup that comes up recently, I just had a, a small mass show up again on my uterus. Mm-hmm. He caught it within seconds. Like he just, and he calls me on home, at my, on my home phone. We text. It's, you know, it's a, when, when I say fully committed relationship, it's a fully committed relationship. We're in it for the long haul. Powerful. And the team that I have, not only between him, but I also have amazing oncology nurses. Just some of the best people that when they say nurses in scrubs or scrubs with capes, that they're these, these people are just, I don't know where they come from. It's just born in them to be just amazing people, genuine, and not only just nurses, but great friends too. So I, I don't think we get, they get enough accolades or, or, you know, enough thank yous. But I do bring donuts. <laughs> I love bombs. it. I love it. I, I always say the nurses do all the heavy lifting, right? Like they the doctors do. come in for five minutes. I mean, I, I'm joking here. Well, not joking, but they don't come in. They, you, you know, you spend more time 
as you know, in the the chemo clinics, you know, right. in, the, in the in the units with the nurses because they're con- they're administering the medications, they're overseeing right. everything, they're checking in, they're doing all the 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 monitoring of putting down how your vitals are. Like they're doing all that. The right. doctor's not doing that. I mean, the doctor's orchestrating that, right? And he's seeing patients, but the nurses, man, they really, and that's really, I think the, uh, like you said, like they don't get enough credit, but what really sets a place apart, at least in my experience, is the nurses. I mean, uh, doctors are a big deal. Don't get me wrong. Right. <laughs> but the nurses, I mean, you could have really bad doctors and I've had families and great nurses and, great right. nurses, and they'll say, I don't want to leave X, Y, and Z. The doctor's an idiot, or not an idiot, but he's just really not my cup of tea. Right. But the nurse that we deal with every time we go in for chemo is like uh-huh. a daughter or a godson, right? right? And so you're right. like, wow, like that, yeah, okay, that's that's a tough one, you know? And and a lot of times I, I've heard stories where, you know, patients have had adverse reactions to treatments. And right. it's the nurse that sees it, not mm-hmm. the doctor, right? Because the nurse mm-hmm. is there watching you the whole time or, you know, checking up on you and making sure everything's going as it should go. So they're the ones who, you know, at the end of the day, potentially are saving your life in that situation versus the doctor. Again, not Absolutely. to take anything away from the doctor, but the nurses, I think it's kind of this symbiotic relationship that it's it like is. you have to have with with really good doctors and really good nurses. I've been blessed with some of the most amazing nurses in outpatient um, infusion at Monmouth Medical South that it, that are, they're, they're not only amazing hu- uh, nurses, but they're amazing human beings. They've been with me since the very first chemo and we're still together. Just my very first infusion, holding what was left of my hair, um, celebrating, you know, when I gained one pound or one ounce, um, wheeling me in and out. Sometimes I'd have an accident. They'd run all over the hospital looking for a change of clothes for me. Just just some of the most amazing. And then my daughter graduates college and they're celebrating as big as I am. You know what I mean? Like it's so awesome. Just so, so, so awesome. And when you find your tribe, (laughs) it's it makes all the difference in the world. It really does. And, you know, I'm blessed. I have a great, great system, friends, family. And then on top of that, my daughter, who is, like I said, she's an only child, um, my only child. And uh, she's my rock. She's done everything. I mean, her mom was diagnosed at, when she was 20 years old, 20, turning 21. And life, as she knew it, completely stopped. So, uh she is, um, sometimes I call her nurse ratchet. <laughs> <laughs> she is the, she's a drill sergeant. She will not let me fail. She's just, it's not in her, it's not in her at all to let me. Sometimes there are days when I'm a little tired because immunotherapy, you know, it's, it, it wipes you out a little bit. Not as much as chemo, thank God for me. But uh, she doesn't let me sit. Let's go, mom. Let's go. But she recognizes when I need to sit. And that's the, you know, the value in having such a wonderful caregiver. They too need, you know, support. It's powerful. And you know how valuable, valuable they are. So I know that you've been in that role too. You've played that role. So. Yeah, I, I think it's it's really, really uh, important. And, and one of my questions here, and, and this is a great, 
point here. You, you talk a lot about support system. Mm-hmm. And I've asked this question before, so you maybe have heard it. And, and the questions that I, I will usually ask are, are usually pretty loaded in the sense that they're not easy <laughs> questions. Um, but there's no right or wrong to it. But what, within your support system, you mentioned you know the doctors, the nurses, your daughter, family. What's some of the best examples that your support system has done or, you know, has provided for you? And, and, I, and I love sharing this because, you know, we have so many people who listen to the podcast and, and the question that we get often here is from caregivers or from neighbors or from friends or from family members, hey, my brother or my sister-in-law just got diagnosed. Like, what's the best thing I can do for them? And I always yeah. love to share from patients themselves, the great things that their support system did for them, because I think that there's truly power in sharing those ideas. So with that, like if you looked across your support system, what are maybe some of the the great things that you've kind of gained or been given from your support system that you have? You know what? My support system has been filled with a bunch of gatekeepers. (laughs) And I mean that as they block negativity from external negativity from me. So, you know, if a friend will calls and, and my daughter will answer the phone or, um, and you know, my daughter will get the sense that that person is probably like, Oh no, your mom is doing horrible or da, 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 da. she knows that that's probably not a call I need to take <laughs> yeah. right then and there. Um, so she, you know, that that's, and she'll say, oh, can, she'll give you, I'll let her know you called. I'll have her call you back. You know, just being able to make sure that it's, I'm in a positive frame of mind mm-hmm. when I need to be, especially when I need to be. And keeping distractions, keeping me offline, keeping me <laughs> from self-diagnosing, keeping me from spiraling. You know, I'm, I'm going to go to my daughter. Like, I have a great relationship with my pastors. And there were times when um, I struggled with speech. Chemo did it. You know, mm-hmm. that was, uh, I blame everything on chemo. Chemo did it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I had a problem with speech. I couldn't articulate what I was saying. And uh, I was having a moment. And my daughter picked up the phone, called our pastors. And they, my pastor called right away and talked me down off that proverbial ledge so that support system, people knowing exactly what I needed, and, and I, I use my daughter because she's just, you know, the immediate thing that comes to mind. But another form of support that really stands out is surround yourself with like people. Mm-hmm. And um, what I find is I found a friend, I've several in the, in the community, but one um, online. We were just on Instagram one day and I noticed that she was doing a video and she was doing the video from my infusion from the hospital, same hospital that I was in. And it turns out that we knew we we had, we had the same, uh, our doctors were in the same practice. We've been besties. We call each other infusion besties for since then. And that kind of support, even though she's breast cancer and I'm pancreatic cancer, Finding support in that circle, sometimes outside of, you know, people that are so willing to kind of protect you and keep you in, a, in your bubble, 
and keep you, you know, like protected, you also need an outlet and you need somebody that you can kind of really be real with and just share your feelings and, you know, whether it's, what are you eating? Oh, I'm not able to eat. You know, it just, you know, like, you know, what stayed down today? Oh, this worked for me. And, you know, and still be able to laugh at ourselves without fear of someone saying, or already planning your funeral, because, you know, that's, people mean well, they really, really do mean well. But from diagnosis, I had people that had me gone within three months. And here I am almost five years later, you know, so um, your support system is really what you need. You know what you need. We all do. Some people need hands off and other people need hands on. So I don't know if that is kind of what you're looking for or if that's. No, that's it's perfect. I mean, you know, I think so many great nuggets in there, Crystal. And I, I think the one thing that you said, just the last piece there is, and, and I've always said, I think people who are in the fight know the reality of it. Right. I don't think anyone needs to remind them of that. And I guess if anyone's listening at home, if you have a friend who, regardless of the cancer, all cancers, mm -hmm. right? Right. I mean, we all know the reality of cancer, right? It's the second leading killer in the United States right behind heart mm -hmm. disease. So, right. um, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a reality to it. I don't think patients need to be reminded of that reality. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I, I think, as you said, like people who are in that like-minded you know, place where you are is, is really powerful and mm -hmm. knowing what you need, you know, in terms of what your needs are, like you said, your daughter, like, Hey, like the, you know, the, the neighbor who calls, you know, who's <laughs> going to be a Debbie downer, like you don't need that right now. Right, um, right. And you know, that's like having those people in your corner that, you know, you can go to and, and, you know, they're going to cheer you up and they're going to they're going to rise you up. Right. Like right. In, in, you know, in, in business and this is not cancer related, but you know, they talk a lot about just in life, right? Like if you, you know, the, the six people that are closest to, to you in your life tell a lot about you, yeah, you know, if you, so, so if you write down on a piece of paper, like who are the six people you spend the most time with and what does that say about you? You know, like, what are those people like, or what do they do? Or, and, you know, how do they present themselves? Well, it's the same thing when you're fighting cancer, right? It's like the, the right. six people you come into contact with the most probably say a lot about, you know, your journey. And, you know, if those aren't the, the right six people, then find the right six people. I, I know it's maybe a little bit of a challenge, but, you know, when you're battling cancer, but I mean, there's, there's groups out there. I mean, there's PanCam we mentioned, um, you know, mm -hmm. there's another group, um, you know, clearly us, we have, we have some mentor stuff going yeah. on and, you That's know, there's other, one. yeah, there's other groups out there that can help find, you know, people that can mentor people going through that journey. So it's, it's super powerful what you just said. Cause I think that's like, I mean, we, we talk about it often and, and I don't think it gets enough attention is, you know, the support system, because mm -hmm. just like anything else, like if you're a professional athlete, you need support, yeah, you need support. And you know, mm -hmm. here you're in the fight for your life. You need support. No one can do yeah. it alone. So it, it's, it's really, really critical. My next question, and I know you've mentioned this, and this kind of ties into the support system, is faith. Yes. And we we don't hold back here. Um, yes. We don't, uh, you know, it, and I, I personally think faith, regardless of who you believe in, 
when you go down a journey like this, I, I think faith as a whole should be a big part of everyone's life, first of right. all. That's right. just a personal belief. But regardless of who you believe in, I think when you go down a, a journey like this or go down this path, faith becomes important. You've mentioned it a couple times. Was faith something that like your parents instilled, like you used to go to church like as a little girl and then just growing up, that's something that just has always been a big part of your life and always. how that's played in. So it's always been part of. Always been part of my life. I was born in the Sisters of Mercy Hospital <laughs> in San Diego. <laughs> I went to Catholic elementary school at one point. Um, and then by the time I got to college, I ran back behind the bars of the safety of nuns and I went to an all girls Catholic school. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yes, <laughs> it's always been part of my life and my parents, um, my mom was the type that just, you know, she wanted to make sure we had the foundation. She d didn't necessarily go in church with us all of the time, but she made sure that we were there. And so uh, when, by the time I became a teenager, my walk was much more out of curiosity and more like pronounced. And I wanted to know, like, what, what is, what, what, how does this affect me? You know, how can I use this in my life? And I decided that this was, it was just something that I was going to lean on and um, be passionate and determined and, you know, stand on at any phase of life, whether it was good, bad, indifferent, it didn't matter. And um, where I found the most comfort was in my talking with God, peace. I knew that I could say whatever I wanted to him without being judged. Whenever, there are times when I'm talking to him from my hospital bed or if I'm sitting in the car and and I have a conversation. It just, it's, it brings me a level of peace. It works for me. My sister and I are both prayer warriors. She is just, I mean, when the, when it was time for me to have surgery, she sent out a mass email <laughs> or, or, or a notice on Facebook saying, I need all my prayer warriors, everybody. <laughs> Let's go. She's going into surgery. So, um, you know, she and I have just, we, we, we lean on each other for not only sisterhood, but even our, you know, religion and our faith is just, it's always been important to us. And it's always been something where we've all, we've never had to say, we only lean on during bad times or in times of need. We thank him for everything, you know, just, you have to be grateful. And I find that, um, if I walk in his grace, someone else will see it. I'm not doing it so that someone else can see it, but I do recognize when people do see it and it's, you know, it, it's, it's peaceful. I don't frown. I realize I my before, like there, you know, when I was younger and, you know, full of spitfire, <laughs> My eyebrows touched like, you know, you know, you're walking around with that frown because you're always so determined. But after an experience like this, especially, you know, you see the eyes, you see the world through completely different eyes and the sky looks more beautiful. And, and you know, 
the rain sounds prettier or, you know, it's just, and I see it in, as a child of God through the eyes of a child of God. And um, if my faith or if my walk, even if, you know, um, I can inspire anybody to that isn't, that doesn't know peace or doesn't know the value in finding peace somewhere. I hope I can. I hope it does. You know, feel free to inbox me. <laughs> so powerful. Uh, I, you know, a very similar background in terms of being raised. I, I was in parochial school through high school. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so I, I know the whole routine, right. And you know, you're, you're indoctrinated into it and, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I ask this question often in faith because, you know, a lot of people have been on the podcast and, and talked about their faith and how it's given them the courage, you know, to fight this thing. And, and regardless of whether you're Roman Catholic, Jewish, Islamic, right. uh, atheist, whatever you believe in and having faith in some higher being is mm -hmm. just so power and powerful. And to your point, you know, you just said something that's just so powerful for everyone listening is take a step back. And I think that's something that the pandemic did hopefully teach some people. Mm -hmm. I know for me included, like I was on the go, 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 travel, 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 but just it, we were forced all to take a step back, right? right. Because the world shut down for two weeks and it was glorious, right? Like we <laughs> right. started to see mountains again in Asia, you know, right. pollution was uh, at an all time low. Whales mm -hmm. were, you know, coming up because uh, there wasn't so any beautiful. traffic in the oceans. You know, there was just right. these m miraculous things that were happening mm -hmm. because everyone slowed down and, and you know, stopped. The but world like, slowed down. Yeah, and that's awesome. yeah. But like how many people actually took the time to self-reflect and think about that? Like how special, like you said, the rain is or mm -hmm. how special, you know, the day is, right? right. And, and that's part of that, you know, reflection and, and the power of faith and prayer and all that. It's just really, really powerful. So hopefully people listening at home regardless if you're battling any type of cancer, you know, have that, can can take that and, and reflect and think about that because it's so powerful. It really is. It really, it really, for me, um, my faith never wavered. I never asked God, why me? It was always, why not me? It was, you know, never a point where I said, I can't do this anymore. Because that mean that meant that I was not walking in his favor and I was not trusting him. So it worked out in my like it just it made all the difference in the world. That and having that support system um, w within my church as well. So you know, just so so powerful. There's something very very um, I don't know. I keep going back to the word peaceful in in faith mm -hmm. in in standing on it. It's beautiful. And knowing that you went to parochial school, I mean, that it, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, I, I just I appreciate your honesty and, and for sharing that with our audience. Sure. I've got two more questions for you here and maybe yeah. a third. Okay. You've said a lot of things. And as I've been taking notes here, I, I make notes and some things I, I will draw lines to and reference. Mm -hmm. And maybe our audience listening at home will, will get this point when I say this. But you have this mental, you know, you said your daughter's a gymnast, but this yeah. mental aptitude of like gymnastics 
almost with the mentality. And I, I kind of call it in your quotes here, mental attitude is what I wrote. <laughs> but if we try to look at gymnasts and, you know, like they're bouncing around and your their flexibility and like with this, with, with your attitude though, to go through this and things you've said and where does that come? Was this something that you learned, like that strength of having that mental attitude of like, you know, even talking about the doctor being fully committed, mm -hmm. you know, faith in God, like you just said, like, hey, like this is, I'm not, it's not a why me, just embrace it and move on. I mean, that doesn't happen overnight, but yeah, can we kind of play devil's advocate here and say, was it mom and dad? I know you said you were a Navy family, so you traveled around a lot, possibly in, in early childhood. So, you know, that, you're, you know, you, that kind of takes, a, that's a challenge. I mean, kids don't yeah. like change. And, you know, when you're in the, when your family's in the Navy, you're moving around a lot. There's a lot of moving around that that's not always easy. Right. Right. It's not. And, you know, the, the, I guess the mental fortitude came from, it's, it's an eight. It's my parents. My mother was in the military. My father, my mother was in the Navy. My my dad was in the Army and my stepdad was in the Navy. So we moved around a lot. We're originally from San Diego, California. And, um, you know, I was a junior ROTC kid. I was in Sea Cadets, you know, very, very. I thought I would be in the military. Until, you know, the cute boy behind me, the <laughs> captain of the football team in high school was like, hey, can I cheat off of you in our computer class? And I'm like, <laughs> okay, you know. <laughs> 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 and I ended up marrying him. Like, you know. <laughs> but um, the mental fortitude is just, I think it's always been there. We weren't really, there was, there was never an opportunity for us to kind of be complacent. Um. It wasn't that we were just hard, hard, hard. It was just the expectation from a very early age was very, um, it, it, it was strict, um, but not to the point of you better, you better, you better. It was more like developing a foundation and that led into, that would lead us and, and kind of guide us into no matter what walk of life we decided to to embark on, it was more like, organization okay this doesn't work find find a way that to make it work it was not a matter of just sitting down we just don't sit down so um and just take it and you're allowed to experience things but you're not allowed to wallow in them and i think especially with my dad my dad was just always such a hard worker that we had no choice but to be hard workers there was it was just it was what we were shown you know my mom kind of ruled the roost <laughs> she outranked everybody <laughs> <laughs> but my my dad was just you know he would fix and, and, and it's so funny we just laughed at him he had this lamp and it was we called it the magic lamp in his living room and he would, we didn't know it was remote activated, but as little kids, we would play with this lamp and try to figure out how it, it came on, on and off. Like how it turned <laughs> on. We had no idea. Years. I mean, years and years. We were like, I was out of college before I realized it was remote active, <laughs> activated. And he had the remote like in his pocket the whole time. And that lamp, we, I went to go visit him. My sister and I, for his birthday, turned 76 years old. And uh, this, this May. 
and he and the lamp is still there it's duct taped it is i mean it's literally a fire fire hazard he's probably replaced the cabling 15 times and my brother finally said, we've got to get rid of the lamp. But that lamp is just such a testament to my dad of, of just make it work. You know, just you'll you don't need to just just make it work. Like the light bulb goes out, get a new light bulb, but don't replace the lamp. You know, it was just it's always very. Um, it wasn't easy for us to throw things away and throw people away, throw relationships away, throw situations away. It's just not built in us you know just you fight and so when my daughter was around 18 months old she was bouncing all over the place just oh my gosh my ex-husband is a um, former uh, he he tried out for the pros for football mm. and uh, so he's huge about six feet I mean just big guy and I'm a whopping five two on a good day <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, having this little tiny little thing that bounced around from sofa to sofa was just like, what do we do with her? So we threw her in a gym (laughs) (laughs) and it turned out to be the best thing we did because it solidified the fact that she was already she was also going to be that no nonsense self-starter. She's not necessarily she's a team player, but she would prefer to be be by herself, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know. Very type A. She was class president, homecoming. I mean, I just can't get enough. Just, just, just graduated college cum laude. Just a great all around kid, but hard, like harder on herself than anyone else. And just that no nonsense, quit added. No, we're not giving up. Poured over into my treatment and her care of me for me. And she once she recently said to me, you know, mom, I have to thank you and dad for just making me who I am. And as a parent, you're a parent. Oh, those you special words. Yeah. Crawl, like I literally melted into yeah. the floor. <laughs> All the bad that they could have done up until that right point. Now. Who cares? All the Fs or whatever, you know, your daughter probably didn't have Fs, right. but like all the shenanigans <laughs> that the kids played, I should say. Oh yeah. You know, all goes out the window when your kid says that's here, right? Like, oh my oh, God. Oh my God. What a melt. Really? Oh, thanks. <laughs> like, And she goes, don't cry. Don't get mushy. And that's classic to her personality. Wow. Don't cry. Don't get mushy. I'm about to say something, you know, and it's very like matter of fact. <laughs> she said she's good at setting you up. <laughs> she's good at setting me up. <laughs> Wow, that that's pretty special. I appreciate yeah. you sharing that with you, and it's just uh, powerful stuff. And and this is just the great part of uh, what we do here, and being able to be on these journeys and and share all these great nuggets uh, from yeah. everyone that's gone down this journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like you said, it's just a matter of um, you know reaching back, taking a step back, and seeing like you know what can I pull from from what I have, what can I use is, is something to push me forward. And, you know, getting back to, I want to say it was, I think it was Jill's podcast and Mm -hmm. just, she was just, I mean, I think I listened to that probably three times. (laughs) She's great. Just, and I remember like she was talking about neuropathy and she said that if she couldn't hold the reins anymore on her horse, I get it. 
I get it. But then finding a way to make it happen and then negotiating with her, yeah. her oncologist. I mean, you just find a way to make it happen. And, you know, that resonated with me. I, I'm sure someone else took nuggets from her as well. And I'm hoping that somebody can take a nugget or two from mine as well and just, you know, pass it forward, pay it forward. Uh, so. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. And, th and that's the power in this is just continue to share these stories. And like you said, if there's one nugget that someone takes from it, then it's a, it's a win, right? Yeah. That's all absolutely. it takes. My last absolutely. question here, um, I want to give you the opportunity uh, and for our audience to connect with you. Cause I know you and I connected on social media, but we're going to yes. share that here in a <laughs> second. But, and this is the last question I always preface this. It's a loaded question. Um, there's no right or wrong. Okay. What is your definition of pancreatic cancer? How does Crystal Morgan define pancreatic cancer? It's my testimony. Pancreatic cancer is I'm living my testimony. It, And then I, I mean that is if I hadn't have had that, if it hadn't have happened to me, it's a, you know, I don't know what story, how my story would have been written it, and continues to be written. It's, it's, it's power, it's fear, um, it's pancreatic cancer is about facing yourself, facing your mortality and what you do with it. What do you do with that? Do you take it and say, oh, well, this is this is it. And for some people, that may be the answer. That's their answer. But it, for me, I needed to have a testimony and pancreatic cancer gave me that. It, you're right. That is a loaded question. It is. And, and it gave me uh, a power that I never knew existed. I was always a very quiet, very obedient child. I did things in what I thought was the normal way. I was a good student. I was a good wife. I did, you know, normal. Everything was kind of normal. There was, and to me at that time, I felt like there was nothing necessarily spectacular about me. I'm a, you know, and not to say that pancreatic cancer gave me my glow up, but yeah, I feel like it is part of who I am. It's there's so much work that needs to be done in the community. And there's still more work that needs to be done with me. And I have a voice that can, that now I can, that spills over into that community. And this podcast is, and, and what you're doing with Project Purple is a testament to that. Now you are part of my testimony. Powerful stuff, Crystal. I uh, I don't have any words. I mean, that's pretty uh, profound, and hopefully, our audience at home feels the same way. Um, you know, we mentioned self reflection, and you know, mm -hmm. you talk about a testimony and what this disease does to you, and being able to reflect on that, and mm -hmm. you know, stare it right in the face, right, and deal with that. And deal with it in the way you have with grace, power, faith, positivity, and everything that we've talked about over the last, you know, 60 plus minutes is just so powerful. So 
I just, uh, I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to be the driver on this journey. I was thinking about, you know, we said Uber before, but you know, Lyft or whatever (laughs) car service you take. So it's just really, really special. I, I really appreciate you coming on the Project Purple podcast. And, you know, we met via social media. It's kind of crazy. I mean, you know, during the pandemic, I know we talked about reflection, but you know, mm-hmm. social media just like tenfold increase, which is good and bad. Right. I try to look at the good and, you know, I've been able to connect with a lot of fighters and survivors via social media and that's how we connected. But if someone yeah. listening to this podcast wants to connect with you, could we share where the best place for them to connect with you with is? Absolutely. Absolutely. It'd be my pleasure. Um, feel free to, to follow me or, or look for me under on Instagram. Um, I'm at Cali girl in Jersey, in Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> very fitting, um, very fitting. And, uh, the spelling is C A L I N J R Z Y. Wait, that's in Jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. So it's misspelled. Um, I don't know if you have a place to put it down on the podcast. Uh, we'll tag you on our social tagging. media. Yeah, yep. we'll make sure we tag you when we air this episode. So it's great. Absolutely. And if you don't feel comfortable following me, you are more than welcome to DM me. Just, you know, send me a message. I, um, like I said, you know, I, I respond and I, you know, anytime we can communicate or, you know, just even say hi, um, I, I'm, I'm all for it. I'm all for it, for it. And I do, I'm pretty transparent. My, um, my timeline is filled with bits and pieces of me and my journey, but not just my journey, because I think what we, what I've realized is that I'm not just pancreatic cancer and neither is is the, are the rest of us. We're not just, we still have families. We still have thoughts. We're still husbands, wives, sisters, daughters, friends, nieces, nephews, but it's part of who we are, but it's, it doesn't make us all of who we are. However, we still need to have an outlet. And I'd be more than happy to chat with you if, you ever, if ever you need a word. doesn't matter. I'm always here. Awesome. Crystal, thank you for being a guest on the Project Purple podcast and for sharing your journey. It was a pleasure and an thank honor. You. to Five stars, Dino. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you again to our audience for listening to another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear today, feel free to share this episode and follow us wherever you may listen to podcasts. And until next time, please be safe, God bless, and that's a wrap of another episode of the Project Purple Podcast. (laughs) 